theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. I want you to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, beginning at verse 18. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 18, and I'm going to be reading out of the New King James translation today. If you don't have your Bible or your Bible app, it's okay. Just direct your attention to the screen. Now, on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? By the way, this is just a plug. We're going to be receiving communion next Sunday in our our in-person worship experience. And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Wow. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And by the help of his spirit today, I want to preach this simple thought to you. Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? Would you help me pray? Lord, we love you. We honor you. I pray that your anointing would rest upon me today. God, rest upon the heart and mind of everyone listening today, watching today. God, have your way. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I had received a phone call from a friend of mine. It's driving me crazy. I received a, f- a phone call from a friend of mine uh, a while back, n- not even maybe a, a month ago. I say a friend uh, in that we don't have a great, uh, deep friendship where we talk all the time, but I consider him to be more than an acquaintance. Our paths hadn't crossed, though, in some time, uh, years. And as a matter of fact, he had reached out to me. He had tried to connect with me, didn't have my new number. He was hitting me up, uh, DMing me via Instagram. Just, man, I want to talk to you. And I said, man, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll get up. And uh, he had a bit of an urgency to it. So I thought, okay, you know what? Uh, Let me just make sure I've scheduled accordingly. And man, let's link up and do so. And so when we connected, he said, man, I want to talk with you for a moment because you may or may not recall this. He he actually said, well, I, I think you probably will. Uh, but a number of years ago, we were at a conference and during this conference, uh, you were with somebody and I was talking with that person and I didn't acknowledge you. Uh, he said, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, what was going on in my mind. I was preoccupied. I don't know what it was. Uh, he said, but you probably remember that. And he said, I want you to know that I'm sorry that I did that. He said, I have just, that has just riddled me with uh, frustration and guilt. And he said, I want to make that right. Would you please forgive me? I value you. I didn't mean to overlook you, et cetera, et cetera. I received his apology graciously, and I was very thankful for it. I also let him know that I had no recollection 
of what happened. That wasn't to minimize his apology, but to simply let him know that, hey, I don't remember it. I wasn't bent out of shape about it. But nonetheless, I appreciate the way that he handled it. Uh, I have a friend, a matter of fact, to one who was influential in uh, winning me to the Lord. Uh, over a period of time, he had become offended by a few people at the church that he and I both attended and engaged at and just did ministry at. And eventually, this uh, bitterness, this offense got a hold of him to such a degree that he wanted nothing to do with certain people from the church. And as that grew, it became, uh, he wanted nothing to do with that specific church. And now it's mushroomed where he wants nothing to do with the church at all. He is offended and offended at almost anything. I recently was visiting home, not too terribly recently, maybe a year or two, I don't know. Uh, and I met my younger sister and, um, my mom for, for dinner. And man, we linked up and, uh, had run across a friend uh, that I hadn't seen in good Lord. He actually was a server at this spot. I hadn't run into him in years. Uh, and, uh, we chatted for like two minutes. He was serving, he was working. Uh, I said, man, what are you doing, bro? Blah, blah, blah. Good to see you. Yada, yada, yada. And, uh, I don't think we chatted for more than two minutes. Anyway, I received a call from another friend, a friend we have in common, this same friend I'm telling you about, who um, just offended at a lot of things, hurt. He uh, called me up and he said, man, I heard you ran into someone. So I said, oh, yeah, we were texting. I said, yeah. He said, he, he told me. Yeah. I said, oh, cool. He was like, you didn't even ask about me. And I was like, my bad. <laughs> I was like, bro, we, we, we. We didn't have time. We didn't have time. My point is this. He was offended. And it seems like such a small thing to say, oh, he's offended or I or he is really offended over this or I'm offended over that. Are you being small? But what we don't realize is that sometimes being offended can be one of the greatest barriers you and I will ever face. Scripture shows us this. In fact, it's one of the chief tools of the enemy. We need to understand that when we are offended, it can wreak havoc in somebody's life. And what I want us to do today is to consider offenses in our life. The Lord has given me clarity as it relates to something today that has greatly illuminated my purpose and why God has sent me here to Extraordinary Church into the Toronto area. I'm going to unpack that just a little bit later here, but I'm so thankful for the revelation that God gives. And God spoke to me, but now I have even greater clarity. So the enemy is in trouble today. Praise God. I have something to attack and I'm going to attack it with everything that I have. Now, what I want you to know is that offenses are traps. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a trap. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's a setup. Okay, look at them, look at them, look at them, look at them. It's a setup. You got to hear me. It's a setup. Offense. It's a it comes from a Greek word called scandalon. It's part of the trap to which the bait is attached and the animal will come and try to take the bait and be trapped. You ever seen like a, a bear trap, if you will, or uh, some other type of trap. If you're a hunter or a trapper, they uh, masquerade it, if you will, and covered up with leaves and all this kind of stuff. And just enough for the bait to be there and to get the animal's attention. And before you know it, the animal is hooked and it's got him. 
See, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 reads like this. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. See, I'm telling you, I'm coming today in the name of Jesus to help pull some of you out of this place where God can do a mighty work in your life. The snare of the devil. Do you remember? I I want you to think about this. We are not ignorant of the devil's devices, okay? Paul gives us clear instruction, and we need to understand that one of the enemy's devices is offense. And what we need to know is offense is certain. It is going to happen. Not only is an offense the trap of Satan, but it is absolutely impossible not to step into the trap because you and I will be offended. Look at your neighbor and say, I know it's a trap, but you will get caught in it. You will get caught in an offense. I will get caught in an offense. But here's what I want you to know. While we will be offended, do not allow that offense or that trap to become your tomb. I'm preaching you today. I don't want you to be trapped in that forever. As a matter of fact, by the help of the Holy Ghost, we're going to pull you out and equip you so that you can walk in victory, so that you can walk in love, and you can walk in freedom, and you can watch God do something marvelous in your life because you will not be trapped. You will not be bound. Your offense will not be your tomb. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 17, 1, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. I want you to break out of the enemy's devices. I want you to break out of the enemy's schemes and his traps. I want you to be free. See, Matthew 24, 10 says it like this. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. In this Matthew 24, Jesus is giving a depiction of what the season will look like when it comes to the end of the age. Sarah, my wife, just recently taught a series on the end times during our midweek Bible connection in the month of June. If you missed that, or if you didn't subscribe, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, you need to. But that's something that even if you watched it, you need to go back and watch it again and really not only get that in your heart, but study that out. It'll be a great blessing to you. But most agree that we are in the season of his return. It is useless to try to pinpoint the actual day. Only the Lord himself knows. But yet he did say that we would know this season. And it is clear that that season is now. Never before have we seen such prophetic fulfillment in the church, in Israel, and in nature. So we can confidently say that the time period that Jesus is speaking about here in Matthew 24 is clearly imminent. No one, hear me, you need to notice, notice One of the signs of his imminent return is many will be offended. Not a few, not some, but many. Now, who are the offended? You're probably looking like, "Mm, 
Who are you talking to? You're looking around. It's like, do, 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 do. You know, you're wondering. But can I tell you, we have to ask the question, who are the offended? Are they Christians or just society in general? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you here. Look at this. We read it. I read it just a moment ago. Matthew 24, 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. See, this Greek word for love in this particular instance is agape. This is so important because there are several Greek uh, words for love in the New Testament. Uh, eros, like an erotic passionate, sensual love, uh, filio, if you will, a brotherly type friendship type love. And then there is agape. Agape is that God love. Okay. But when we look at the filio love, uh, the city, you know, we're from the States, Philadelphia. I'm not from Philadelphia. Visit it. It's the city of Rocky. If you're into that fictitious character, uh, but Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love, okay? And brotherly love, phileo love, or filio love is, uh, you do for me, I do for you. Scratch my back, mm, hit that. Don't you just love when somebody scratches your back anyway? Praise God. Anyway, I just, <laughs> look, Sarah, just go ahead and hit that. Anyway, so it's, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do for me, I'll do for you. It's that reciprocal kind of love, okay? But the God love, okay? When you think about agape love, it's the love of God. That's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. The Holy Ghost is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. It's that agape type love. It's unconditional. It's not based on performance or whether it is returned to you or I. Are you hearing me today? I'm trying to help somebody and put something in your spirit. It's a love that is given, hello, even when it is rejected. See, without God's spirit, we can only produce a selfish love, one that cannot be given if it is not received in return. However, agape love reg loves regardless of the response. And this is exactly what God wants for us this agape love is the love that he modeled when he laid himself out on the cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. When they pierced him in his side and he bled and water gushed out, he gave up and said it is finished. He did not hold it to his charge. He didn't charge the Roman soldiers and he didn't charge those who spat at him. He didn't charge those who plucked his beard. He didn't charge those who mocked him and who cursed him. No, it was an agape love that laid himself out for you and I. Is anybody thankful for the love of God today? You ought to just bless him because the love of God is why the broke can be here. It's why the rich can be here. It's why black, white, yellow, and brown can be here. It's why the educated can be here. It's why the uneducated can be here. It's why we're here today only because of his love. If anybody's grateful for his love today, clap your hands and magnify him. Somebody open up your mouth and say thank you Jesus for your love oh I'm grateful for if it weren't for the love of God his goodness that brings us into repentance it's the love of God that's flowing all throughout this place right now I prayed before I started preaching God fill this place with your spirit fill it with your love let your love call on them let your love draw on them God let your love excavate some things in their life so we can be free praise God it's the love of God. See, we all have expectations in relationships. 
But let me tell you what Jesus teaches us. This Sermon on the Mount, he kind of turns things upside down. He says in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do the same? See, you need to hear me. Stop seeing it as a failure when love isn't returned. Poof. Stop seeing it as a failure when love isn't returned from the person you gave it to. The moment you see this, you're going to be free to love this person even more. If we could only get this in our spirit, we wouldn't give up or become so easily offended. The bottom line, though, is as believers, we're not walking in agape love. We're walking in a very self-absorbed, selfish type of love that is easily disappointed when our expectations aren't met. How could they do that to me? How could they overlook me? How could they betray me? How could they think less of me? How could they say no to me? How could they deny me? How could they forget about me? How could they couldn't invite me? I could go down the list. If I have expectations about people or certain people, those expectations will be let down. They will not be met. They will disappoint me to the degree that they fall short of the expectations I have for them. But if I have no expectations for someone, anything that I give can be a blessing to somebody. I need you to hear me. I'm not telling you that you should be a doormat, but what I am telling you is you need to stop with your expectations and realize you're just here to love people. The scripture says we're even to love our enemy. I was talking with someone earlier this week and I was giving them an example about expectations. I don't lend money out. I give it. Now, if you want to give it back to me, that's up to you. But in my mind, if somebody were to be like, oh man, look, you know, I need $300. If I'm in a position and I feel led to give it, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to them. And I'm not thinking I'm going to get it back. I'm giving to be a blessing unto the Lord. That way, if they don't give it back and they tell me, well, I'm going to get you back Monday, man. I'm going to hit you back two weeks from now. I'm not, I'm not blowing them up Monday. Where my money at? Man, you told me you have it for me Monday. It's, it's Monday, 1201 a.m. Y'all know how y'all know how people can do. <laughs> Praise God. We might have a few of y'all sitting in there right now. Let me just help you. Don't lend it if you can't afford to lose it. Whew, praise God. See, we set ourselves up for offense when we require certain behaviors from those that we have relationships with. And the more we expect from someone, the greater the offense can be. But what we have to ask ourselves is what we're doing is building, erecting walls around ourselves. I can remember uh, there was a great little cartoon my kids watched when they were really, really young toddlers, maybe 18 months, 24 months. Uh, but it was Bob the Builder. And he would say, you know what? He would say something like, can we build it or can we fix it? They'd be like, yes, we can. Proverbs 18, 19 says, an offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city and quarrels like the bars of a fortress. See, a fortress 
called offense. I want you to hear me. Let's step into this fortress called offense. When Solomon said that an offended brother is harder one than a walled city and their contentions are tougher than the bars on a castle, he's describing the fortress called offense. Yeah, yeah. We're looking at a picture of an offended individual, okay? And the reality of it is it could be ourselves, but it's easier to talk about somebody else. So let's go ahead and pretend it's somebody else for just a moment. Let me tell you what happens here. Fortresses are usually high in a place. So therefore, a fortress elevates our thinking, okay? So a fortress, since it's usually in a high place, people who remain offended can't help but get a little proud. Pride lifts them up until they are untouchable. The first evidence we see in an offended person is when they say, oh, I'm not hurt. Nothing wrong with me. I'm just fine. You didn't hurt me. Pride keeps us from dealing with the truth. We cloak our offense. We hide it with pride. We refuse to admit that we have feelings, that we're human, and that we bleed or that we've been wounded. See, pride does something else. All of a sudden, you become the victim. I was mistreated. I was misjudged. I was slandered. I was overlooked. I was hurt. And that leads to the second thing. See, a fortress isolates us from others. Ooh, you need to hear me today. Pastor's coming for you. I'm coming for you, but I'm coming for you in love. Fortresses isolate us from others because we believe we're innocent or falsely accused. So what we do is we withdraw. But you know what? We cut people off. We dig moats around our lives and we isolate people. It doesn't mean that we mean to do it. It just happens. A moat called bitterness, a moat called hatred, a moat called betrayal, all of a sudden divides us from everybody else. We didn't plan it that way, but oftentimes we grow up isolated. We retreat because nobody's going to get to us again. Nobody's going to hurt me again. A fortress. Third thing I want you to get, a fortress insulates us from hurt. That's a lie. A fortress is a walled city. The walls were the city's assurance of protection. Only via the gates could a visitor enter the city. Those who owed their taxes couldn't enter until paid. Those who were deemed a threat were turned aside. And offended people build walls around ourselves to insulate ourselves from the world outside. We've all done it. We've all tried to safeguard our hearts. We don't want to be hurt again. We become selective with who we invite, who we hang out. We develop a tight, small little clique. Ooh, I'm, I'm into something right now. I don't mean to meddle in your life, but if your circle's so small because you're very selective with who you let in because nobody's going to hurt you, nobody's going to get at you, I'm telling you, you're denying access to people. We won't let those in our worlds, if you will, and until they pay it up in full, until they come out and make it right, until they say they're sorry, so forth and so on. We open our lives only to those who we believe are on the side of our issue. That's what happens when you live in a fortress. See, when we are offended, we surround ourselves with offended people. You ever notice that? I can tell you right now, I notice, I notice if people are offended, I know the people that they connect with are those that are offended too. And they manipulate and they pull and they get each other on the same side, if you will, and they rally around their offense. But here's what you don't realize. That fortress that you have built incarcerates you from God. At some point, 
in time, the walls we build to, uh, to isolate and to insulate us actually incarcerate us. We become prisoners to our own thinking. The focus of offended people becomes inward and introspective. We guard our rights and our personal relationships carefully. Our energy is consumed with making sure no future injuries take place. And what happens is only when a person allows himself to be hurt can he actually show and receive love. Bars appear on our castle walls of unforgiveness, strife, bitterness, anger, envy, and resentment. Soon, we, what we built separates us from our herd. It separates us from God. We're trapped in a fortress called offense. But God wants to give you deliverance. Praise God. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Praise God. I'm telling you, it's here in our thinking. We're going to tear some things down today. We're going to make some declarations and God is going to set you free. What I love about the text that I read with you as I get ready to close is I wonder if we've seen the picture fully here in Matthew. When Jesus, the disciples said to Jesus, well, Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me. And they all said, they all said, Lord, is it I? Whew, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Every one of them was so conscious of their human weaknesses that not a single one of them could say it would not be he. God have mercy. How long do you think Jesus knew who would betray him? I know he's God in the flesh. You know he's God in the flesh. So think about this for just a moment. Jesus had been with them, feeding them, walking with them, doing life with them, praise God. And he had never told any of them that Judas would be the betrayer. So those who follow Jesus should be sober and sensitive that we would not speak against someone else, whether the words are true or not. If Jesus had told the disciples that Judas would betray him, him one day, what would have been the result? Everyone would have been bitter against Judas. So what did he do? He saved all the disciples from being bitter against Judas for three years. What a love. Praise God. And here's where the Lord has brought me to a place. I've told you this before. The Lord told me, you know what? I won't release you to preach anything but faith and love. Praise God. When I thought faith and God has been expanding my understanding of faith. At first I was taking miracles, signs and wonders and love. Yes, I get it. But do you know, and I preached this to you a couple of weeks ago about fool's gold. Jesus said when he was with the disciples, miracle signs and wonders, you're going to do all of that. And they were like, that's great. Jesus, I believe you for all of that and then some. But hey, how many times should I forgive somebody? Oh, he was like, they were like, what, seven? Oh, he was like, well, let's do 70 times seven. As a matter of fact, if they come to you seven times in a day and repent, you should forgive them. And you know what their response was? Whew. God, give me more faith. 
I'm here today to preach to you so that God can pull you out. I'm going to preach faith and I'm going to preach love because it's the love of God that will pull you out of your fortress. It'll break down every wall of offense that's been erected. Some of you have been hurt in the past and you've been frozen in that time and place. And what you need to be honest and transparent and say, God, is it me? Look at like the disciples and don't be proud, but say, God, could it be I? Could it be I that could be trapped in a fence? Could it be I that has wrapped my family up in a fortress, which is why we're isolated, which is why we're not doing life with people because I don't want to be hurt again. God, forgive me. God, let your love flow through me. Let your love rescue me. I close with this. There was a story of a minister. Uh, he had an out-of-body experience in the Philippines. He resisted the call of God on his life for several years. He had a successful business. He was an entrepreneur. And eventually, no money, everything just kind of caught up to him. Uh, no money could get him away from this. And he ended up finding himself uh, having open-heart surgery. Uh, and he died. He died. And uh, he found himself outside the gates of heaven. Jesus stood there and talked with him about his disobedience. And the man pleaded with the Lord to let him live. And the Lord consented. These are this man's words, not mine. Uh, but before sending his life back into the body, into his body, the Lord showed him a vision of hell. And he saw a family member there burning in hell's flames. He was amazed. He said, how, how? This individual was a saint. The Lord simply replied. She refused to give forgiveness to a relative. And once she refused to forgive, she can't be forgiven. That's the city I want to dwell in and I want to go to. It's heaven. I don't want to be bound by unforgiveness. I don't want to be bound by bitterness. I want to be free. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.